0: Radio Days Africa podcast is brought to you by the Vids Radio Academy. Three, two. Radio. Go. Radio. Go, go, go. Is Radio Days Africa 2020 is about to go live. And we are live, hello to each and every one of you that have registered for this panel today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us as we unpack and we explore the future and the realities of uh, podcasting, and I guess, in a, to a greater extent, media in general. So I'd like to thank CAS Media and the Vitz Radio Academy for their support of Radio Days Africa, and they are, of course, key to making all of this happen. My name is Rafilu Mpakañane, and I'll be moderating this discussion today. And uh, of course, you, our attendees, are key also, and central to this discussion being a success. So if you're, you're welcome to send your questions, your comments directly on the Zoom uh, on the Zoom chat. And I think I may read out some of those questions as we go along, but most of those will also be backed for the Q&A session, which I think we'll have in the last 10 minutes of our panel discussion. And uh, you can also send those voice notes to 79 0 That number's 79 0 Send those voice notes, those uh, questions or comments and interact with the panel. Uh, of course, don't forget to hit us up on social media and uh, Twitter's Radio Days Africa 2020 and that hashtag is RDA 2020 as well as hashtag the new normal. So housekeeping is out of the way. Uh, Today's topic is online and on demand podcasts for Africa and we're going to be delving into the world of podcasting or on-demand audio as some people prefer to call it And we're going to be unpacking our continent's uh, relationship with this relatively new medium that's been with us for just under 20 years. Suffice to say, podcasting has come a very long way uh, since Edison Research decided to start uh, serving the needs of podcast networks, of agencies and consultancies about 14 years ago. So uh, to help us uh, talk and unpack all of this, I'd like to welcome Paula Rogo. Hi, Paula. Hi, Paula. Why am I not seeing you anymore? All right, let's move on from that. Kim Fox, hi. Thank you for your time this afternoon. You're all the way in Cairo, Egypt, and it's such a pleasure to finally meet you uh, uh, virtually, but to see your face. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, Kim Fox is is a professor of practice in the Department of uh, Journalism and Mass Communication at the American University in Cairo in Egypt. And uh, she primarily teaches audio production and other uh, journalism courses as well. And uh, Chris Martis joins joins us as well. And I'd like to welcome you, Chris. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon.
2: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Absolute pleasure. Now, uh, Kim uh, Chris Rather is the CEO and partner at Hindenburg Systems. Chris has uh, thirty years of experience in media production, entrepreneurship, management, as well as business development uh, in London and Stockholm, as well as in Copenhagen. And then uh, we bring it back home to Francois Ratif in Cape Town. And uh, Francois is the co-founder of Iona.fm, uh, one of the larger and I guess older podcast platforms. Uh, in South Africa. So welcome to Radio Days Africa, uh, Francois. It's a pleasure to speak to you again.
3: Thank you very much. Hello everyone.
0: Ah, yeah. Thank you so much guys for making the time and also just helping us unpack what is I think an insanely exciting uh, medium, an insanely exciting opportunity for Africans to tell their stories and to share their stories, uh, not just with the world, but actually amongst ourselves, right? Um, And and, um, start to finally unpack through our own voices uh, how we want to be represented out there in the world. But I'm going to start with you. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Kim, and just ask you how the recent organizing of PodFest Cairo actually went. Um, was it a success? And, and we'll delve into the specific realities of podcast, uh, podcasts in Cairo and Egypt.
1: Yeah, I think what we'll end up talking about is the timing, because it was, it was very instrumental. And it wasn't obviously planned out because COVID hit when it did. Uh, mm. Because we went on a bit of a partial lockdown the following weekend. So we were able to pull off PodFest Cairo in fine fashion. We had about a hundred uh, attendees. So that was very, very nice to get that community to come out and support the events. Yeah. And we had an international speaker uh, Hannah Alam, uh, Alam from NPR in the U S and lots of, you know, talking about producing podcasts from concept to completion and also we had a bit of a, a competition, you know, trying to identify the next, you know, Egyptian podcaster. We had some great prizes, lots of community support from uh, uh, businesses providing support, including Hindenburg. So we, sure. were pretty, we were pretty excited about it. Thanks.
0: Yeah. I mean that's that's really really lovely to hear, and I guess in many ways, in your from your professional stance and perspective, what are the um, the real opportunities for podcasts as a as a medium, uh, especially especially as you teach it um, in 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 Cairo?
1: I think it's wide open. I mean, and this is what I usually tell my students: uh, the opportunity to produce good quality audio is definitely going to net you some results in terms of your audience. Mm -hmm. In terms of the ability to, we'll talk later, I'm sure, about monetizing. Absolutely. I I think the the growth, the potential for growth in the field, especially in Egypt, is huge. But Mm -hmm. it will take some creativity to
0: pull that off. Yeah. Chris, I want to move to you and talk to uh, talk to your own experience in the work that you do with Hindenburg as a company. Uh, you are primarily sort of business to business facing. But what is it about the democratization of the ability to create podcasts and enjoy podcasts that um, that, that you feel so strongly about?
2: Uh, Just a quick correction, Uh, we have a 50-50 between B2C and B2B, so about half of us, uh, well, number wise, uh, we have about 40,000 individuals that have Hindenburg that they're using them to create podcasts or independent radio, and then we have um, a a certain number of uh, radio stations and so on, just to get that. So we have our our kind of, we're looking at the whole specter in that sense. And you're going to have to ask the question again. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Just tell us what you do at Hindenburg.
2: <laughs> so um, primarily what we're trying to do is to provide um, a solution, software solution, an audio editor, recording, editing uh, solution, which allows people for a very small investment to record, edit, and produce a podcast, but without having to be a sound engineer. So this it's just as much uh, relevant for radio journalists as it is for uh, home, uh, you know, home businesses, podcasters, individuals. What we do is we automate a lot of the um, engineering, so level setting, EQ setting, uh, noise reduction, and so on, and make it really easy for people to get uh, their voice and opinion out via a podcast or a radio uh, production.
0: Yeah, yeah, fantastic work. And I think uh, as we go on, of course, we'll talk about other guys in the field that are doing the same thing and the sort of impact that you um, that are that having on the medium of podcasting. Um, Francois, you are in a very unique position uh, from most of us because I think the abiding theme that g- comes through in discussions about podcasts is that Statistics are thin on the ground, and while we love the medium, whilst we're excited about the medium, we're in a very um, unique position where we want to find that sweet spot where we're able to do the work, make these podcasts, but also uh, find ways to monetize. But just tell us, you know, what IONO FM has been able to do from inception to 2020.
3: I think you muted, Bristol. <laughs> uh, sorry, unmuted. I just want to um, link over to Chris. I have to say, I'm involved in a couple of podcasting groups, and all the guys are always talking about his software as you know, for podcasters, some of the best. So if I sort of have to take an average, it's very highly regarded. It's nice to have him on the panel. Um, sure. I was a little over a decade ago. I was designing large fleet management systems, and then uh, one of the guys that worked with me said, "You know what?" I want to try PVR for radio, because yeah, I can never listen to this stuff when I want to. And out of that, we built a podcasting platform, and uh, later on, we did streaming, we've always done advertising, and um, yeah, 10 years later, we've got over 1,200 content providers on our platform. We are still very strong in South Africa, so almost half of those are South Africans. And um, as you're saying, statistics are still quite difficult. It was wonderful to see Edison do the first South African infinite dial last year. Really mm-hmm. interesting stats that came out of that. Um, but we are in the unique position that we've got a large platform with actual stats. And while we you know, have to be careful how we share things, I love being able to show people what's happening and what the trends are. Um, you know, I think anything that, that us say, a rising tide lifts all the boats. So I think... You know, Podcasting is still a new medium. We're still competing against large established industries and, um, you know, anything that that guarantees success for for one component is going to be good for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of my role, I'm the, the chief operating officer. So I do a diverse amount of things. I oversee the operational aspects, both to radio stations and to consumers. I work with advertising agencies. I manage large strategic projects. I um, give training to organizations and media groups. Um, and I really enjoy also sitting in on the technical side, sitting with uh, various organizations and podcasters and figuring out what do they need at that point and what is the best solution that, that one can provide for them.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm going to move on to Paula Rogo and say hi to you, Paula, now. <laughs> um, Paula describes herself as a podcaster, pod producer, podpreneur, uh, building Africa's first podcast, welding, uh, rather, Africa's first women-focused podcast network. Hi, Paula.
4: Hello. I'm excited to be here and connect with all of you today and discuss this wonderful world of podcasting.
0: It's an absolute pleasure, and it's really exciting to have you with us, Paula. Talk to me about the work that you are doing specifically um, that you're doing specifically, and what the circumstances and the environment is in your home country
4: right so I'm based in in Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya, and my work with podcasting is two pronged first, it's in content creation and talent discovery. Um, within my one of my companies, which is called Kali Media, uh, which is focused on creating content specifically for women in, in East Africa. And in doing that work, I landed in podcasting and realized that it was a really great platform and medium in which to really create niche content for my audience, which is women in and around um, East Africa. But as I was building that, I was trying to sort of, like you said, Kali Pods, which would be a women-focused podcast network. Um, In trying to build that, I quickly realized that there were parts in the podcasting ecosystem within Kenya and within Africa that were missing in order for me to build the podcast network into the success that it needed to be. So I hit pause on that, ran over to the other side, and um, last year launched Africa Podfest, which um, is a podcast festival that was actually supposed to take place a week after Kim's pod, um, PodFest, PodFest Cairo, really. Yes. And um, you, you Kim slid right by and was able to um, have her podcast festival. And due to COVID mm-hmm. and due to just um, regulations here in Kenya, we were just not able to have put together the podcast festival. But really the goal with PodFest is, of course, to create – an event where people come from all over the continent, bring their ideas, their wisdom around podcasting from wherever they are on the continent, because we are all moving very differently in different countries. But also now as we transition um, into a sort of year-round company is how can we put African podcasters first and provide them resources, provide, provide them services and create a really vibrant Ecosystem for podcasting to flourish in Africa, because I really think and I think everyone will agree with me. I really think this is the medium to take over mediums in the next few years in Africa
0: yeah so you know in in many ways I've, I've i've asked you all these questions and a bit of your background not to establish your bona fides but just to show what uh, an interesting array of panelists we have today and uh, your insights the various ins- insights that you bring to this conversation i want to build on this point that you've just made paula and um whoever i guess i, I guess i'll start with kim the opportunity. Um, the opportunity for podcasts on the continent for you uh, is one that is, can be incredibly uh, interesting and exciting. But for a very, very long time, we've tended to view podcasts as those archived you know, bits of interviews or audio from the radio. Right. Of course, the, the sex has matured and we know it and understand it differently. But to the large, to a large extent, uh, traditional media treats podcasting as audio archiving. Um, and is it still is a problematic for the growth of the of, of the of the medium or is it just fine? It'll mature in time. What do you think, Kim?
1: Well, I think it's fine the way it is. It's wonderful to have an archive. Uh, think about you know, what we have access to from you know, the past. I do a lot of oral history and oral history projects, and those are really based on, we're creating an archive, we're creating a database that Mm -hmm. someone can then use to create different audio stories. So I I think that that kind of growth is always there, you know, conducting interviews and, I mean, creating a proper database for interviews and having that metadata, that's huge, it's really important. And the archiving of digital content, is, is also extremely important. Do you realize how much content we've lost when systems change? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's an important part of the archiving, again, if, whether it's for radio or for podcasts. And it definitely mm-hmm. gives us the depth that we can go back and listen to that content that, was, that came before us.
0: Sure, sure. So Francois, a large chunk of your clientele tends to be those radio stations, right, or established traditional uh, uh, media and radio. And they're doing exactly that. They are archiving their interviews, they archiving shows and bits of those shows. But of course, we know that the understanding that actually creating a standalone podcast with high production value uh, is is the way to go. Has there been, for the most part, a sense of um, podcasts being pitted against radio or just seen as a complementary um, part of that ecosystem?
3: I think a lot of the big radio stations go on and they do what they do. But if you talk to sort of a podcaster on the ground, so looking at sort of your podcast groups, they will be very very vocal about the fact that, you know, radio on demand is not the same as podcasting. But if you look at the two, you know, radio content is created to slot into a specific time slot. It's typically, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. And that is really important. Whereas the big thing with podcasting is, you know you're not tied to a clock you can take the time to to tell the story if you look at successful um like radio lab for example they've got episodes of 20 minutes and episodes of an hour and 20 minutes depending on what the story is and i'm excited to see that radio is evolving and they are starting to figure out that you know for example you can have the news that didn't make it into the news bulletin or you have um, programs that are now uh, made as podcast first and then they cut them down to a, a portion and they broadcast a part of that. So I think um, podcasters have already you know, figured out a lot of the stuff around how to use the medium. And I think um, radio has got the audience, they've got the backing in how to create great audio. You know, and, and we find most of our, top, uh, um, of our top content providers come from a radio background. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're learning to adapt and how to move this, uh, use this new medium to their maximum advantage.
0: Sure, and to that end, Paula, what I'm what I'm interested in is finding out from uh, your Kenyan perspective is how are how are content trends uh, how do you view content trends um in in your environment and in your work because of course i think the beauty and you will all agree of, about i'm sure you'll all agree with this is that the beauty of podcasts is the ability to be incredibly niche right to serve a very very specific um area of interest in a market and and not have to worry about you know getting everybody in, in interested so what are content trends looking like in in your in your part of the world
4: um, Paula yeah and even just to even add to what you were talking about about um, um, radio using podcasting initially to archive that's really not the case here in Kenya in Mm -hmm. fact podcasting started more from independent podcasters and radio has been very very slow um, to even archive what they have on the air Um, online. So it's very fascinating to sort of see the differences there. But and and then because of that, um, what's happened within the podcasting space and content trends is that a lot of the, the popular podcasters and the podcasters who've really done well within at least the Kenyan context are those who offer content outside what the mainstream media covering. So some of our podcasts we're talking about, for example, is the Afroqueer podcast, which talks about the LGBTQIA plus community around Africa. There um, there was a really great podcast that's now um, right now on pause called The Otherwise Podcast uh, by Brenda Wamboy, which talked about um, politics and society in a way that our uh, traditional media was not covering. So I think what, it's, what people are looking for are new voices, they're looking for new opinions, and looking for intimate spaces and niche spaces in which they can go connect uh, with, with individuals who have something to say. And I think that's really what's been exciting about those content trends. And then also language. Um, the opportunities for uh, language podcasts, which we're slowly starting to see. Right now, podcasting is mainly among uh, city-based, Nairobi-based or capital-based um, socioeconomic strata, specific sort of upper-middle-class strata. who speak English, who podcast in English, but it's slowly starting to, to evolve. And it's beautiful to see the type of storytelling that's really coming out there.
0: Yeah. Well, language is key, is it not? Because we are pretty much um, Western-facing when it comes to the media and the content that we can that we that we consume, and it's it is a matter of economics, I guess, who's able to churn out how much content. Um, and with the democratization or the lowered barrier to be able to creating um, podcasts, it really, really does make it uh, easier for Africans to create um, their own vernacular con- uh, podcasts. Chris, I'm curious from your perspective at Lindenburg. the ratio, the number of, um, I'm going to say non-English and not that English is the norm that, you know, our normative <laughs> sort of structure, but in many ways, I guess that's what we find ourselves in. It becomes the global lingua franca. Um, from your perspective, what kind of ratio are we looking at of various podcasts being made and created in languages other than English?
2: I'm obviously really difficult to answer, but um, from what we are seeing, uh, so the U S uh, and North America has been our primary market for a long time and that's changing uh, clearly over the last three years, we're having a lot more uh, pickup from other countries, which must, must indicate obviously that those languages are also getting stronger in the podcasting field. Um, so South America, um, Brazil, uh being another language um and 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 i think the other side of the thing is that we also support a group called cultural survival which is uh, a group that supports indigenous media around the world and we've been involved in that since the beginning so you know my stats are not necessarily reflective um so you know we've been supporting projects in nepal and uh uh in the Southeast Asian area which are small indigenous uh, populations and and equally in Central and South America and their base is typically community radio sure. uh, but at a very very inexpensive level and where uh, you know podcasting is kind of something that's coming out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, France clearly French speaking, uh, Spanish speaking is growing In terms of, of Southern Africa, or Africa in general, what I'm seeing is still a lot of uh, English, cent, Anglo-centric uh, communities that are, are producing in English and so on, rather than local languages. And that's one of the things, one of the areas that I, you know, a large part of what Hindenburg is trying to do is to, as you mentioned, democratize access to audio and audio storytelling, which means we're trying to specifically address a lot of smaller groups that wouldn't have the funding to be able to create uh, an oral history or or storytelling in general in uh, their local language whereas you know with a little bit of Hindenburg and a a cheap mic and and access to something like uh, a it to host your 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 software now all of a sudden somebody living in Pondoland can create something Mm in, uh, you know, in their local language, but still, and this is an important part, still have, or maybe increase their reach because all of a sudden there are people in New York, there are people in, in, you know, Europe, there are people in in, uh, Australia who still have that as their, uh, as their background and who are really hungry for news from home, from Mm. someone on the ground, you know not uh processed through all sorts of uh politicized media um, someone who's not necessarily looking for, has a you know not necessarily has a political angle but just wants to say this is what 's going on around me because that 's what podcasters, if you like traditionally have done is try to yeah. describe it. I know that's not we can 't generalize here; there are a lot of very political uh in any storytelling medium. But you can find or you can generate the ability for people very cheaply with podcasting to tell local stories and reach a global audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what the numbers are, I, I I would be wary. But I see a lot more of it over the last three years. I see a lot more people writing to us in 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 in, in primarily still European languages. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't, we don't get many, uh, many support requests in Zulu yet. Um, and I'd have to brush up a little before I could yeah. answer, Absolutely. but, uh, but we definitely hear through Twitter and Facebook and so on, people coming from a, a much more diverse background. And hopefully we try to encourage them to use that as a strength rather than, than to, you know, grad to well, graduate. It's not the right word, but to. Make an English language another english language podcast we, we've got enough of those to be honest
0: so of course we know that um, the barriers to entry to creating a podcast are uh, are low, and I guess will will get increasingly uh, lower as as we go along and as more people innovate right although it, as you just described it's, uh, it's, it's it's pretty easy is uh, have podcasts created an entrepreneurship opportunity on the continent that, of course, never existed before, but one that is scalable. And when I talk about scalable, I'm, of course, going to look to the States, and you can jump in here, Francois, as well, Uh, and the work that guys like Spotify, for instance, have done by cornering that market and saying this is how we're going to differentiate ourselves, we're going to focus on uh, podcasts, and not only are we going to focus on that, we're going to acquire a Gimlet Media, for instance, for $200 million. We're going to sign Joe Rogan for $100 million. Um, he's a YouTuber and a podcaster as well. And then we're also going to, you know, snap up the ringer um, Bill Simmons and look to reality TV stars like Kim Kardashian. Um, we're clearly still as a continent and, and, and industry in our infancy. But I want to I want to start by just asking what the opportunities that you are seeing on the horizon might be. Uh, maybe let's start with you, Paula.
4: And do you mean opportunities in monetization?
0: Entrepreneurial and opportunities and monetization opportunities.
4: Right, so there's, there's, there's opportunity around content, there's opportunity around production, there's opportunity around technology. It really, it's, it's open. And you're seeing some of that, we're seeing of course, Chris is here, um, of course, Francois with what he's doing. But you, we're also seeing different content creators or even um, platforms that are popping up in and around the continent. I think the thing that's key is 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 learning from the West and then adapting to what is necessary for Africa. And that's what we're, those are the the barriers that we're running into. Because um, yes, I can use Anchor. Yes, I can use. Spotify all these different products here, but mm-hmm. what are the ways in which they don't speak to or allow the use for for the for the African podcaster or the African? audience there they you know there are barriers, things like data that's a huge barrier. You can make all the podcasts you want if people can access, and the telecoms are not bought in to the potential of podcasting and how they can be involved um even of the bigger platforms um yes I'm so excited for you Spotify, and me, um, but you're not open to the rest of Africa only within South Africa, so what are the limitations in which I can also distribute my content and distribution is huge. The opportunities for distribution is immense. I'm very excited because recently in Kenya, we had our first podcaster who was uh, syndicated by uh, by radio. Her name is Adele Onyango, and her show is called Legally Clueless. And she was able to syndicate her show after one year. Um, and there is a monetization opportunity for her. And she's very specific about starting her podcast as a startup. She's looking sure. at it as a way to make money. So this, in the same way one approaches any form of content creation, whether it's video and YouTube, whether it's blogging, podcasting also opens. Up the opportunities and has room for also innovation and creativity, which makes it even more exciting. We can create the spaces yeah. in which we can do that work.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Kim, how in, in you know as you as you teach and as you lecture, how do you approach um, how do you approach this uh, with your with your students when you unpack all of this?
1: I guess I'm hopeful that the young people are coming in with creativity and they're you know thinking outside of the box. And actually, that's not true. Uh, which is very unfortunate because they Mm -hmm. are they really want to go down a traditional road like if i ask them how are you going to monetize your your podcast idea they'll say oh i'm going to post it on youtube and we'll get some ad revenue from there i'm like no give me something that's really unique and creative and maybe takes advantage of fintech Uh, and that's when they get sort of stuck and i feel like we need to do a bit of a, a podcast hackathon so we can say like what are the unique ways that we're not tapping into that aren't so mainstream I think about people who don't have a smartphone, uh, but they, you know, they may be interested in your content, how they get access to that. But in terms of monetizing and entrepreneurship, this is perfect because it gives people an opportunity to control their message, control their content and control the whole thing until you, you know, like you, like Paula said, you get picked up and you start to get syndicated and find someone who wants to bring you to a higher level. And of course we know nowadays you need to pay attention to your IP, uh, intellectual property as it relates to that. But just trying to get people to get smarter about what they're doing. And the last comment I'll make before we move on is that Arabic podcasts have a lot of room for growth. They're, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's growing. Uh, If I can share my screen right quick, we can look at some of the numbers. Yeah, please do. For Arabic podcasts, but it's not just for Egypt. Uh, So this number has pretty much doubled. This is self-reporting from a company out of the UAE. But what's more important is to look at the growth over the past few years and then to look at what people are talking about. I had to have someone do a little bit of translation for me, but uh, the big piece of the pie is the topic is social and talk. And the second topic is education and culture. So wow. these are the, the primary topics right now. But again, these numbers are self-reported and growing. But in my opinion, this is where the growth is, that Chris mentioned there's so much content in English. And when we think about trying to produce quality content in Arabic, I, I see it growing, but I definitely see it getting bigger in the next year, even.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Can I just- Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So, um- in particular, the Arabic speaking podcasts have a huge opportunity because there are, as you know, there's a huge Arab speaking population in Europe at least that is very focused still on having connections to their culture and so on. And I think that the person that, that can work out how to make a sponsored paper listen, some sort of a direct contribution from that, and have uh, and create a, something that's very very uh, interesting for the local population because you need that in order to get access to the next interesting content. You you know you can you cannot be in Jordan and talk about Jordan without having a, a, an audience in Jordan that's going to be relevant. But funding-wise, there's a huge opportunity to go to to the European Jordanians or. Middle Eastern community and say, we want to bring you this, but we need some funding. You know, I mean, I mean the classic any sort of clickbait, and that's what I think. That's I mean, when people ask me what I think is the greatest opportunity for monetizing uh, 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 something from uh, Africa, I always talk about the fact that there's a huge expat community that is hungry for and has buying power. I mean, for them. At the end of the day, a dollar here, a dollar there. Yes, a lot of them are hardworking people. With but, but there's, they're still that they most of them have a satellite dish because they're trying to get Al Arabiya or, or something. You know, I mean, if you can get them to cut that down, you've already got fifty sure. bucks a month you can spend on podcasting.
0: Well, then, to that end, then my question to the panel becomes are subscription-based podcasts the possible sort of low-hanging fruit to start looking at when we talk monetization because if you're not necessarily uh, chasing sponsors uh, or able to get advertisers, um, then a subscription-based approach the way to go or is it a feasible one in our very unique landscape and we'll go to chatting about um, the cost of data as well as the various mobile devices that we're consuming or the devices we're consuming podcasts on. Um, Maybe you can elaborate on that Chris and then
2: I'll move on to Kim I I don't have any basis to to know but Mm. if I were an entrepreneur starting a podcast that's the that's the low-hanging fruit that I would chase so that's uh, you know as an entrepreneur myself that's what I would be looking at whether it's viable or not, I'm sure someone has more experience than me and has tried it, hopefully, uh, yeah. because it would be really sad if I was bringing up unique ideas here. But, um, you know, but uh, I, would, I, would, I would try it out if I was, uh, you know, if I was trying to, you know, make a vendor-based uh, uh, or, or, or Arabic-based uh, podcast. That, yeah. that would be my first uh, idea.
0: Kim, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course you're gonna try the the subscription model, that's a given, but I really think diversification is going to be the best route to go. It takes a lot of work to diversify, but we're looking at, some people are using Patreon. Uh, I'm looking at what Kerning Cultures is doing out of the UAE, and they do a lot of stories that are Cairo-based as well. And what they're doing is just, you know, trying out a lot of different things. And so, like I said, they've got the Patreon, they've got people who are doing, you know, giving them small bits here and there. Uh, maybe some sponsorship I think sponsorship is certainly a way to go where you can uh, there's another company out of Egypt called Enterprise and they just have a handful of sponsors who sponsor the whole thing they sponsor a a season Uh, and I think that's also a smart way to go but I think diversification is going to be the best way to go to see what's working Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Paula your own thoughts on subscription-based the subscription-based approach and how it might work for instance um, in in Kenya
4: I think I, I agree with Kim in terms of diversification, but I think I, I think what people also need to understand is some people still don't even know what podcasts are. Like the work I'm doing is education, is making sure that people first at least understand what the medium is before we really start climbing into some of these monetization um, opportunities that would also involve another level of education. Um, because when you're talking about subscription, we are assuming uh, probably diaspora or um, someone of a certain socioeconomic class who is understands and works in this space of subscription. right? If, you, if you're niche and you know who your audience is and subscription is part of their language, of course, it makes sense to go do that. But, and, and this is key because we actually did a study at Africa Podfest, a very small study about the diaspora. Um, as a as an audience with Kenyan podcasters, and this was last year, and I'm sure the numbers have changed within six months alone. Is majority of Kenyan podcasters their listeners were actually not in Kenya, and that's because uh-huh. education is key. I still run into people who say, I you know, I've heard of the word podcast, I don't know what it is, but I'm embarrassed to admit that I don't know what a podcast is. So for, so yes, I'm excited to, and even among Um, big advertisers and corporates, the opportunities for sponsorship for them are not there if they don't even understand what a podcast is. And actually a big part of education for us is teaching corporates what podcasts are so they can actually buy into the medium. So I'm open to talking about these sort of subscription and all these other other opportunities. But for me, it's about how the lowest hanging fruit for me is just making sure people understand what a podcast is, how they can access it, and how they can use it for themselves and the opportunities there for the individual podcaster and listener.
0: Yeah. Well, Francois, you are well-placed in a fantastic position to talk to us about the sort of ad spend um, that's happening with, for, with podcast, podcasting as well as on um, a digital audio, right? So you see all of this. You've seen the growth of the industry. Could you give us some stats and some figures as well? I know you did prepare some slides.
3: 100%. Um, we're in load shedding, so um, let's just let me know if the generator is too loud. We can, can hear you. Me. Okay, brilliant. So, I'm quickly going to share my screen while I'm doing that, you guys discussed such fascinating things just now. I want to say some of our largest um, channels are actually local language channels. We have Sophies and we've got local content which is doing really well, not as, you know, not the same numbers as the English, but in terms of broad numbers, you know, holding their own and also getting good advertising. Um, but I think and in terms of monetization, we see three models. Let me just go through these slides quickly. So. Um, people ask, shall I do some general stats just on what we're seeing in South African terms of audience or shall I skip that, Refilo? Let's.
0: I'm just looking at the clock. We've got about 20 minutes. Um, let's, go, let's go to monetization. Sorry, guys. Okay,
3: so I've got one slide <laughs> on monetization. We basically have three models that people that we come and see. The first one is peer monetization through advertising. The second one is subscriptions. And the third one is using podcasts as a marketing mechanism and we've got successful people but typically a a good organization will use all three. Um, The fact about podcasting with subscription is if somebody can find the same type of content for free they will listen to it for free. So you need to establish yourself as good enough but I have to say in terms of advertising, so this is just the IAB's numbers that they were tracking for podcast advertising. You see here compound annual growth rate 65% around 2007 been adjusted down a little bit because of COVID. So the uh, prediction for 2020 is down from 296 to 14.7%. In South Africa, we've seen an absolute explosion in advertising. We're basically already almost at what was spent last year. So, um, and it's still accelerating. So there's a good chance that we're going to double in terms of the amount of advertising that uh, businesses are spending on podcast and stream advertising on digital audio. So that is very exciting it's still small compared to radio and traditional mediums. So, you know, you're talking, you know, sort of less than 10%, but at these type of growth rates, it's something which is going to become very viable. And I think I've got a couple of slides on COVID and how it's changed listening patterns, but the short of it yeah. is that um, the COVID and the whole lockdown has really pushed digital audio into the, front, into the forefront. More and more people are switching over. Um, we're seeing exciting things like our... Um, 18-year-old demographic, 18 to 24, suddenly has come back to podcasting. You know, they're listening to stuff uh, across the board. We've seen massive growth. So very exciting there and good place to monetize, be that through subscription or through advertising.
0: Sure. And a quick question, and guys, if you have any questions for Francois, please go ahead and ask them. Um, I, I just want to know, of, um, of the people that have heard, uh, have, have heard of podcasts and actually know what they are, because of course, as Paula was saying, education about podcasting is something that needs to be done really, really heavily. How many, um, how many podcasts are South Africans in general listening to uh, weekly?
3: Um. I didn't prepare the weekly numbers, but I can tell you in South Africa with a population of about 50 million. We had last year, we had close to 6 million people on our platform through the course of the year. And sure. um, this is the podcast growth numbers. So, it's so a compound annual growth rate over the last five years currently of 45%. So, um, so that's very exciting. Not as big as radio yet, uh, um, but it's something which is definitely catching up.
0: Is there a direct correlation between uh, ad spend on podcasts and digital audio taking away from um, taking away from radio ad spend? Uh, is it direct, or are advertisers essentially just trying to fill, you know, check all the boxes and, and diversify within within their um, advertising ecosystem?
3: Um, I'll don't have direct data on that. I know sure. that, especially since the lockdown, um, advertising revenue in um, radio has been falling. A lot of it has been moved, moving over to digital. But I would like to think that it's, you know, additional options. Obviously, there's only one pie that needs to be sliced. But hopefully, um, it's not, you know, it's it's not competing, but it's it's sort of tools that a radio station can use to diversify their, their income streams. So, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day, as you say, you know, there's only so much being spent on advertising, so um, you know some of the other industries are going to lose if audio starts picking up. Sure,
0: well, you know, as Paula, as as, as attention um, merchants are trying to grab people's attention, especially during these times of COVID nineteen how do podcasters set themselves apart and make themselves a you know welcome sort of relief or escape from the usual doom and gloom how do you how, how do podcasters take this opportunity to elevate that game
4: first of all the number of podcasts around the continent that have come out in the last few months have been incredible i think it's the it's the fact that covid we're at home you have time to start something. Maybe podcasting is the thing I always wanted to do. So a lot of people are doing that, and we know that discoverability of podcasts is extremely difficult. And hopefully, with we'll Google Podcasts, we're and an Android continent um, investing more in 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 their podcast space. The opportunities for discoverability are great. And what you're talking about is really audience development. It's the end, sure. It's what any audience development that any person on, on any medium would need to do. How do you connect with your audience? How do you meet them where they are? And then how do you do you expand from there? And there are different ways. Um, and it's it's also understanding the market. Um, 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 and there there are different ways around, but I think it's it really depends on who your audience is. And once once I can understand you're talking to it's easier to figure out how you reach them but it's a combination of being digital being on social and all that work but then also offline there's work that also happens offline do you have events do you actually connect with your audience not on your podcast um how do you get the word out there and some people are actually using other mediums to do it so they'll go on radio in order to talk about their podcast and expand it, they'll use YouTube as well, which is a great space for for discovery as well to um, expand their audiences for their podcast. So there are different strategies that one can sort
0: of look to 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 yeah. expand and reach new audiences. Kim, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you and ask the same question. Also bearing in mind that unfortunately. Because of COVID and the various lockdowns that um, countries have seen, people's affordability, right, being able to buy data has been compromised, or being able to afford data has been compromised. Uh, We're sitting in a situation here in South Africa where we have one of the highest data costs on the continent. So, of course, that's definitely hit uh, the consumers in the pocket. And it's it's made, I guess, what Paul is talking about, discoverability, uh, that bit more difficult. But what are the opportunities now to differentiate yourself? during this period that you see?
1: Like I said before, I think it's going to take a lot of labor to pull it off. And I'll build on what Paula said in terms of your, who's your audience? I mean, I have a podcast called the Ekiya Master podcast. um, And we mostly produce narrative nonfiction stories in English, uh, but we do a couple in Arabic. And so people are like, Mm -hmm. well, who's your audience? And who are you talking to? And, you know, people get confused. Uh, And so if you're not doing the audience research, or if you're not doing a proper proposal for your podcast and a business proposal at the same time you'll find yourself in a a bit of troubled water along the way Uh, so on Mm -hmm. the the front end you should be doing the proper research so you can try and figure out uh, what possibilities exist not only to monetize but to grow that audience in these difficult times if if people can't afford the data or if people can't afford to say what subscribe to your podcast then where who are you who's your audience where are your listeners and how are you going to grow from there
0: sure and and to that end the research looks like how if you are starting something for yourself and uh, you can only get this this edison research infinite dial summarized version and you can't you know you can't afford to subscribe for a ten ten thousand dollars to that annual podcasting report right right yeah really really um a a tough one there chris you know the 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 sort of go-to ways in in which uh, Small startups, people on the ground can start to do that uh, research, that market research. It looks like what? What are your suggestions? To put you on the spot. Right.
1: you on the spot.
0: <laughs> you're, still, you're muted, you're muted. Hey, Chris, you're muted.
2: I got it, I got it. Sorry, it was supposed to unmute automatically, but there you go. Uh, so I would ask Francois,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: He's the, the one that <laughs> has the data, yes. Yeah.
0: How, how do we begin to research under these difficult circumstances where we don't have huge purses, uh huge uh, large pockets, for instance?
3: Um so I was actually answering one of the questions from Paula Diaz in the in the in the web chat. So you're asking about re- can you just rephrase the question very quickly? Or repeat the question? Okay.
1: We're thinking about, you know, if we want to do that. So about- the question was
0: Yes. Go ahead. Sorry. Kim dropped out. If you want to do your own market research, where should one start looking if, for instance, you can't subscribe uh, to Edison Research or any of those? Yeah.
3: That is quite a difficult question um, because it depends on your budget. So, obviously, if you've got enough money to subscribe, then, you know, you can just either pay somebody to do the research for you or just buy the resources you need. In a cash trap sort of environment, somebody needs to, you know, you need to be clever. Um, and some people are doing their own research, you know, um, some people are talking to others who have got the information, but it's basically, it's a function of the, the, the resources you have available and how clever you can do this. It's a little bit like marketing as well. People ask me, you know, how do I market my podcast? And similarly, it's a function of how mon- much money do you have? What connections do you have? How can you solve the problems? And it's not really one size fits all in, in my opinion there. But I would say, mm. tap, in, tap into net, so let's say you're a podcaster or a broadcaster, tap into the networks that's doing this. There's a lot of people that's very excited. You know? You've got Podmeet events. You've got the Podfest, Paul, as, by the way. It's great to see you on the, the call as well. We've also spoken in the past. Um, and there's a lot of people that will help you. Um, so connect to other people that's trying to solve the same problem as you. Sure. And can uh, I, can
0: I add to that?
4: Because at Podfest, we are research is actually going to be one of our biggest, um, one of the biggest things we'll be investing in. And it doesn't have to start, it can start small, because we already have a community of podcasters that we work with. And half the time, even the survey talked about about and podcasts, all we did is email them and ask them to fill out a survey. That was it. We had 78 people respond and then we started from there. And then um, next year we'll expand um, because also what we're doing is we've grown, uh, we're building a database of African podcasts. And so we have contacts of all these different podcasters around the continent and people want to know this information. So they're willing to share their own information in order to to grow. So I think everyone, and everyone wants data, like a lot of decision makers are waiting to invest in Africa, um, but they're waiting for data. And really it's the people who are willing to do the heavy lifting, the hard work, to go find this data, which is also an opportunity for monetization, by the way, data collection, because no one is really willing to go do it. That's why we're so hungry when Francois shares a few numbers on the screen we're like what's going on there um but you can also do it yourself as a podcaster ask your audience whoever is listening to fill in fill out a survey ask them where they live what are they doing what what you know there's all kinds of ways to collect information and you can start small and then expand from there
0: all right kim i think you wanted to elaborate
1: yeah i'll just make one quick point universities i mean this is what i do in academia and you can always look to your uh College professors who are teaching in media and say, "Hey, let's collaborate." And this is one quick way that you might be able to get some of these numbers. I like uh, to build on what Paula said. You start off small and you do something incrementally, because universities might have a budget for a small research budget that they can build on.
0: Yeah, Franco, you want to build on that before we move on over and take some questions? We've got uh, eight minutes left on the clock, and uh, I want to I want to get to the audience's questions. Um,
3: I I think. Uh, I was also once more. I was answering questions, so I think just let's uh, we can move on with that. I'll All right, fantastic the conversation just now.
0: Well, whoever might want to answer this, but I'm going to start off the super basic question, um, which goes: This is from Gwena asking, how does one differentiate from an audio podcast versus video podcast, like on YouTube? Uh, we've already spoken about monetizing, of course, from podcasts, but do, do we call video podcasts podcasts, or are they just vids?
3: I think it can be, um, you know, it's a yes. po- it's a podcast in a format with with video, um, but you need to make sure that you add a lot of value in your video because on on I know our podcast low quality podcast is 10 mix per hour that you pay, which in and, and video you know you're talking at least you know 200 maybe 500 mix per hour in Africa that's a huge expense that you need to justify, so um, so I think you can call both of them. But just you know, be cautious if you go into this, make sure that you use your, uh, um, your data and you, know, you use your audience means optimally to, to be successful. Sure.
0: Um, We're talking earlier on about uh, strategy as well, uh, and how to monetize. Um, Paula saying urban campaign and maybe have a great strategy in syndicating podcasts. And then also saying that um, ultimate media selling clients on the power of both of traditional radio Mm. and digital and saying that the best campaigns do use both. So to your point, Kim, absolutely, you need to switch it up and be as creative as possible. uh, In that regard, a question for you, Francois, because we love stats and some figures would um <laughs> the question was how many downloads on average are the number of downloads per episode that you see on IONO and what um, what's good and what's bad in our context
3: yes so we work with large radio stations big media groups right down to single persons doing podcasts I think if you're a single podcaster in South Africa if you talk about so if you talk about episodes you need to look at How many episodes does this person publish per month? So normally we just work with a total amount of downloads for a channel or a show, which in South Africa, if you're in the tens of thousands per month, you know, you start moving into the upper 10%. Um, But, you know, there are episodes which are getting hundreds of thousands of downloads per episode. It all depends on your audience and uh, um, sort of the power that you have behind your organization
0: okay um here's one francois how do you how does iono deal with music rights and i guess if any of you want to chime in on the idea of um you you touched earlier on paul on mm. ip but specifically for your podcast but when it comes to utilizing music um how does iono deal with that francois
3: um we firstly we give people guidance in terms of music rights because a lot of people don't understand it but in our terms and conditions we steer clear of it so we say that If you upload content to Iona, you need to have the rights to make that available to us. Uh, In some cases, we will query with people whether they've got the rights to distribute. But unfortunately, the legislation around music and IP is still very complicated in the case of podcasting. So general advice there would be to steer clear of it, you know, do proper podcasting. Don't try and do a music show or something like that.
0: Anyone else on the panel want to speak to that? Out yeah there. um go ahead kim
4: sorry
1: i'll make it quick just try to find friends who can produce some music beds for you just yeah. get real creative it's going to be something great for them when you give them credit for doing the music and there's lots yeah. of royalty free music out there on different platforms mm-hmm. too
4: Paula, well, go ahead make sure there's if you're dear friends even though people don't want to talk contracts just make sure something is signed off that it's okay for, for you to use um their audio and the thing there's a lot of free content, of course. Um, But what you find is when you start digging, especially if you want something that's particular to the rhythm and mood of Africa, um, some of the audio out there is really stereotypical. So there's also opportunity in music for podcasts. For anyone who's entrepreneurial out there, I would definitely be interested in that because I know I've struggled with finding good music music for um, my podcast that I'm working on as well.
0: Sure. Um, Michael's got a question again for um, Francois, which is in terms of you gave us figures on the doubling uh, and the growth of ad spend in South Africa during this period. Uh, are you able to give a total random amount? Uh, Michael would like that to
3: put it into perspective. Um, I'll have to just look at those numbers. There's some, there's some uh, um, protection and protection of IP items around that which I need to consider. So, but we're talking, we're talking in the, um, in the millions range. So, um, so as I said, still, if you compare that to, to radio spend, which is the billions, then, you know, it's still, I'm keeping in mind, that's only on our platform. Um, so, but that's sort of where we are at the moment. Yeah. Um, an interesting
0: one, an interesting one that I saw earlier on, I'm just trying to find this, um, just trying to find this. Yeah. Yeah, someone was asking about
2: Francophone countries, um, yeah. and so sorry. both both Samberoff, Bukoto, and and Michael asking about uh, yeah. Francophone countries, and and we we can only obviously uh, make uh, projections based on what we're seeing, and primarily we've been working with different uh, broadcasters in West Africa, trying to um, uh, promote. Podcasting, we're seeing almost no uh, pickup from individual podcasters in West Africa, mm. uh, except through France. So uh, almost people that are expats in France, trying to talk back or, or about uh, you know uh, rather than than coming from down there, um, and and so I I would. You, Paul is talking about education. I think in West Africa, we are at a v- almost invisible level, uh, <laughs> is my totally unqualified opinion. But just based on our, you know, we, we have conversations going from different places and that's what we're seeing is just about nothing. And we're working trying to find someone to support. I mean, we, you know, we provide our software to Africa. We provide software to different for free, because we want to promote them, and we have nothing in West Africa
0: yeah. is it a function of people's ability to um it, not just education by podcast but the cost of data for instance, as well as the devices they're able to um access them on
2: I, I think it's just a question of no one is, is even knows what that means in in a you know obviously someone does but but uh, no audience of any size. Is there? So people are not thinking. They're thinking, "I'll go to and do radio as a as an audio kind of yeah. career." Uh, is my again totally unqualified? There is no data that I know of.
4: Right. I I, I agree to a point because there's Anglophone West Africa and then there's Francophone West Africa. Sure. And when it comes to Francophone and Lusophone countries, it's it's quiet. It's very yeah. quiet. And what action you see at least from those sort of particular languages is coming from Europe or the diaspora speaking back home. I agree Mm. with that. But when it, and it's interesting because you can't talk about West Africa without Nigeria and even Ghana. So I I
2: really think
4: think Anglophone
2: Mm.
4: is where podcasting is, unfortunately. And I actually see it going into like tribal languages faster than it picking up with francophone and lusophone countries actually because of how slow it's been for pickup because there are countries you'll find south africa kenya i think zimbabwe has some exciting things happening nigeria there are countries in which podcasting is moving very quickly and then there are those that it's just crickets and it's not clear why it's crickets sometimes because yes it could be data yes it could be but it's usually a number of Cultural and societal things as well that allow for people to take on podcasting, but it's it's really fascinating to see what picks up and what doesn't.
0: Guys, we need part two, part three, part four, up to I don't know where for this conversation. Um, you know i'm incredibly frustrated having to call time because i could There's so much that we still can and must speak about but i'd like you to thank you so much for your participation today and for your insights as well um i really i gained so much and i hope our our audience as well have to i really appreciate it thank you very much and of course um yeah we will keep the conversation happening online hashtag RDA 2020 on the street on the social media streets. Thank you so much, Chris, Paula, Francois, and Good. Kim. Much appreciated. Very much. All right. I'd like to thank our, thank you for joining this radio days, Africa session. Click to watch or download the podcast. Radio. That was a radio days, Africa podcast brought to you by the Fitz radio Academy.